Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, joined by Greg Barnes and Adrian Atkinson. Adrian, this is the first time I have had you on a podcast, man. So thank you very much for joining me. How are things going for you? Not too bad. Glad to be on. Good to have you, man. And then, Greg, same thing. How's your summer been going so far? Uh, pretty good thus far. Trying to uh, enjoy a little bit of downtime between the close of baseball and, and football, which opens up. So, of course, we're, we're talking basketball, which is always a good way to, to fill the gap. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, Inside Carolina has still been pumping out a ton of content over the summer. And one of the most popular things on the site over the last couple of weeks has been a ranking of the top 100 UNC basketball players uh, that, Adrian, you kind of spearheaded this one here, man. So for anyone listening in who has not seen this, go to the Inside Carolina basketball message board, the premium basketball message board, and the full 100 are available to look at now. We're going to be focusing mostly on the top 10. But before we get into that, you know, when you were starting this list, Adrian, you posted a, the criteria that you were using to form your rankings. Explain the criteria that you settled on and your thought process when you were trying to figure out, OK, how am I really going to get this thing organized? Because, man, a top 100 of all the UNC basketball players, that is a huge undertaking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like ranking your children, right? If you had 100 kids and you wanted <laughs> to rank them all, you know, it's yeah. really hard to do. And I'm not kind of arrogant or egotistical enough to think that this is like a definitive list or that you can even really parse the difference between like number 42 and number 43. Like really, they should be kind of in tiers, right? Or like, I think Bill Simmons had like a pyramid scheme in his uh, book of basketball, which is kind of a good way to approach it. But, I mean, people like lists, right? So I came up with the top 100. And, uh, yeah, really the only I, – I wasn't looking at NBA performance or anything in the Olympics or anything. It was all just your time in Carolina that I was looking at. And it's kind of your total production. So if you stayed for four years, you know, you get more credit than if you only stayed a year or two, even if your average stats are better in a shorter time span. And it kind of looks at – it kind of blends your overall production and your peak season production. So it's kind of like an average of those or like a harmonic mean. You know, it's looking at both of those. And it's also another thing is it's not it's really just looking at the era you played in or like the environment you played in. You know, it's not trying to compare Lenny Rosenbluth to, you know, Tyler Hansbrough in terms of what we played in the modern ACC or had a three point line or a shot clock or anything like that. So I think those are kind of the biggest uh, kind of methodology things or like criteria. I mean, yeah, it's like you said, I mean, coming even to a top 100 in and of itself is a, is just, I, I couldn't even start to do that. You know, Greg, as you were going through and as Adrian was listing them and revealing them on the message board, um, 10 at a time, you know, as we got to the, to the top 10, expanded out a little bit, maybe to like the top, maybe 15, 20, what were kind of your impressions on some names, Greg, that you thought, all right, these guys have to be like among the best of the best if we're talking all-time UNC basketball players? Well, I think that the challenge for me um, is because, you know, I grew up as a North Carolina fan. And so I have those memories. But then I've been covering the team for 13 years. And you have to kind of put all your fandom aside as you do that. Um, and then you also have things like recency bias. Um, you you kind of have the emotions in play of you know, what what were some big moments that you were able to see and 
that were kind of near and dear to you? Because even though I know a lot of people reading these things are diehard North Carolina fans, you things come up in life. You know, you may have a family member that was sick, and so you weren't able to focus on the Tar Heels you know, that much in this particular year. And maybe the next year, uh, you were back at it, and you focused more heavily on that particular season. And so I think you, there's a lot of emotional ties with how we view certain players. And that doesn't even get into age, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm 41, uh, so you talking about Phil Ford, uh, yeah, that's that's not something I, I remember. I mean, he was in school when I was a toddler. Um, and, you know, of course, when you get the Billy Cunningham and Larry Miller and some of those guys, it's before my time. Um, whereas I can talk all day about Tyler Hansbro and, and Deion Thompson and where I think Danny Green belongs on the list. And that's why I think it's, it's very fascinating just to take a very uh, statistical approach to this to kind of you know, factor out some of that emotional bias, which, which we all have in us. Um, and so I'm always careful. I say that just, you know, when I start looking through these things, I have immediate responses saying, really, that guy's there. But then I'm like, okay, let's take a step back and really read through the data and see what Adrian's figured out. Um, and so there really weren't too many massive shocks. Uh, you know, one that kind of shocked me a little bit was, was uh, you know, Kobe White, for example. I figured he'd be a little bit higher, um, you know, comp- just considering how good of a season he had. But, you know, in terms of team success, North Carolina didn't, didn't go very far. And I know he only played one year. So that eliminates some of the data. So I'm more interested really to hear Adrian's take in terms of surprises for him because you know, while we're all looking at this with some emotional vested interest, I know Adrian does it too, but Adrian is, is wired more so to eliminate that that noise and really factor in on the numbers. Were there any particular players, Adrian, that that as you were going through this and turning out this data that you said, okay, even though I know the data says this, I'm still a little bit surprised this guy is at this particular spot. I think uh, Harrison Barnes is definitely one. I think I had him in the, in the high 80s or the low 90s even, you know, somewhere in the bottom of the top 100. If he's and, I mean, it's not it's not a total shock to me because that's kind of my least favorite archetype of player is kind of the volume score. You know, Harrison wasn't super efficient, and he didn't do much. I mean, he was a, a solid defender and, a, and an okay rebounder for a wing, but he wasn't a playmaker and you know, didn't put up big counting sets on defense. So even though I knew all that, I was still a little bit blinded, I think, by, you know, he, he passes the eye test, right? He's, he scores a lot of points, and he does it in a way that, you know, when he's when he's on, it looks really good. You know, he's a, he's a flashy playmaker or, you know, a shot maker, shot creator. So, and, you know, obviously he had a lot of clutch shots, a lot of game-winning shots, you know, especially as a freshman, and a lot of accolades, you know, rookie ACC Rookie of the Year, first team All-ACC as a sophomore, and, you know, I think third-team All-American. So he had those accolades, which are kind of oftentimes scoring-related. You know, like the national media will kind of overhype those guys sometimes too. So even knowing all that, I was still somewhat surprised. You know, he didn't do that well. You know, in in the uh, wins above replacement metric that I use. Yeah, so, one of the one of the interesting things here, John, is that um, I caught a lot of flack on our message boards back in the spring of 2012 because I don't I didn't have Harrison Barnes on first team All ACC. I had Kendall and Zeller and Henson and. Um, I'm trying to think who else I had. I think Austin Rivers may have been on that team. Maybe somebody else. But I had Harrison on second team. I caught a lot of flack for that. Um, and part of that was because while he, you know, he does, he is that kind of volume scorer that Adrian talked about. 
and I think part of it is the expectation for me is that you know, he was this all world guy coming in. And so maybe he didn't live up to the expectations that, that I had in my head, even though I try not to do that too much being in my role. Um, but really after seeing kind of, you know, with Kendall getting hurt, it was Harrison's time to carry that team, you know, in the sweet 16 and elite eight. And, and Adrian actually pointed that out in his blurb on Harrison. He didn't do that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, North Carolina could have gotten to the final four that year. I still think, you know, if, if Kendall's healthy, no doubt Kentucky, Carolina, are the two best teams, Kentucky probably still ends up winning maybe. Um, but I think, I think, you win that game against Kansas, you get to the final four. Maybe Kendall's able to play, even though he's going to be in a cast. Um, but Harrison's a guy, well, I thought he'd be a little bit higher. Um, I wasn't necessarily surprised that he was further down the list and maybe what a lot of people thought. The one name that I was surprised was actually a little bit higher than anticipated was Bryce Johnson, who came in at 25. And it's not to take away from Bryce's senior season because he was amazing that year, but it's just the fact that Bryce really, that was his only, I would say, really good above average season. You could tell that the talent was there, but Bryce really only had, I would say, that one peak season aside from that. He was very inconsistent. So for him in the top 25, that's what was interesting to me. Um, The other one that I thought was, I guess, low in a sense was, of course, my personal favorite player of all time, Ty Lawson, number 11. Um, Adrian, when you were doing it, you know, I mean, Ty Lawson right there, how did he not make the top 10? I mean, I I, want to hear kind of like the how the data put him into the, the 11th spot. Yeah, well, I mean, he only played three years, first of all. I think, I guess, in the top 10, I'm trying to think, like, Jordan and Worthy were three-year guys. But they're, you know, they're national players of the year, whereas Ty was ACC player of the year. And he had, I mean, his junior year was really, really good, obviously. And he was great as a freshman and sophomore, too, but not really that next-level great those years. And he had injury issues as a sophomore, so he missed, you know, a handful of games. But, yeah, his peak season ranks right up there with any in UNC basketball. You know, if this was going to be like a best season top 100 in Carolina basketball, I think his junior year would definitely crack the top 10. But factoring in his entire career versus guys who played four seasons or were a little bit healthier, I guess, or just a little more impact right from the start, you know, instant impact, nudge him right outside that top 10 for me. Adrian, but I, I, mean, I, would, that, go ahead. I was going to just ask you, based on those guidelines, I think it's just remarkable. I don't think anybody, and they probably shouldn't be, is surprised that the Hansborough is number one. Mm-hmm. But he's the kind of guy, granted, we know that his National Player of the Year uh, award came after his junior year. But I'm a, I assume that even if you took his senior year out, he would probably still be number one. Do you think that's accurate? Uh, I would say he'd drop down. Really? He'd, I don't think he'd be number one. He'd be, he'd be, like in the, he'd be comparable to Jamison and Jordan as a huh. three-year player with a National Player of the Year. And I guess a little more, a little more instant impact than Jordan as a freshman, kind of on par with with Jamison. So I'd, I'd say he'd probably fall to four or five. Wow! But I'd have to crunch the numbers on that. Hmm. But yeah, he'd still be top ten and probably top five. So another name, and, and I promise we'll get to the top ten here in just a second. But um, Rashid Wallace, he cracked the top fifty, even only two, with only two years of playing. You know, Greg, you watched Rashid, I'm sure, growing up. He was a little bit before my time. But is he kind of the ultimate what-if guy? I mean, if, if you're talking a potential top 30 overall player with two years, if he had stayed three or four, 
just like what was the sky what was the limit for Rashid? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a couple guys there. Um I really think that that some incredible players come along, you know, in the nineties with with Rashid and Stackhouse and and Jameson uh and Vince. And granted those those guys stayed an extra year compared to, to Stackhouse and, and Rashid. But those are just four kind of elite talents. Um and when you factor in you know, Rashid coming in and, and playing alongside of that just you know, dominant national title team um, that probably took away some of his opportunities. Um, so you're really talking about you know, one key year for him to show off what he could do. So he just has that unique skill set, um, especially back then that you didn't see a lot. I mean, incredibly athletic, um, could do things away from the basket. And while you know, I know Stackhouse was was unique for a variety of reasons, you had some players in that build at least. But Rashid really was different, and I, I think he's different. You know, for me, he's different than Jamison, even though Jamison is great. Because Jamison just had that unique ability to explode off the floor, and it seemed like that was what separated him from everybody else. It wasn't that he was, you know, just this next generation athletic talent. I mean, great. And granted he was very athletic, uh, but he just had that burst off the floor. That was so different than everybody else. And he was able to capitalize on that. Whereas Rashid just kind of had this unique package that you don't see very often. Um, and I, you know, for me, that's why he stands out as much as he did. And you know, certainly if him and him and stack stay longer, if Jamison stays an extra year, uh, then those guys are going to move up. But that kind of goes with what Adrian was saying with, with Hansbrough. I just assume that Hansborough will still probably be number one, um, and not to <laughs> not to assign Adrian any extra homework. Uh, that's just, just fascinating to me that, that Hansborough, after three years, maybe may not have that that dominant grip on number one, which speaks to you know, the the talent base of what this North Carolina program has turned out over the years. Oh yeah, definitely. Let's take a very quick commercial break, guys, and let's talk about our friends at Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. They are a Chapel Hill icon. They have been supplying Tar Heel fans with their gear for years. They are solely dedicated to the Tar Heels. You can visit them on game days. The season is coming up. Football season's about to start in just a couple months away, really. So if you're on campus for game day, make sure that you stop by their shop there on Franklin Street. You can also shop on giantt-shirt.com online at any time. And the new Mac is back gear, that's been on the shelves for a while. So Starling encourage everyone to stock up on that. And then the new basketball season will be kicking off pretty soon as well. It'll be here before you know it. So giantt-shirt, giantt-shirt.com. And always remember that inside Carolina subscribers, they get 10% off of their orders. When you use the code, you can get that off of the message board. So again, inside Carolina subscribers, 10%. Giant t-shirt, giantt-shirt.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride-or-die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, 
every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so focusing in on the top 10. Adrian, let's walk through this real quick. Um, So number 10 was James Worthy. Number one was Tyler Hansborough. And like Greg said, you know, I think given the criteria, Hansborough being number one really shouldn't be too much of a surprise. But going through the the top 10, was there anyone that surprised you that under your criteria broke into the top 10 that maybe some fans may not be expecting? I actually think the top 10 was pretty straightforward. I guess like you're saying, you can make a case for Ty Lawson sneaking in there. But I think these 10 were kind of a cut above the, the rest of the field. I think uh, some fans are probably surprised to see Worthy number 10 as opposed to somewhere high, you know, in the top five or even higher. And certainly below Perkins, who, you know, who's his teammate for, for two years. And, you know, Worthy was kind of the national player of the year, the guy who got more kind of notoriety on those teams. But, uh, yeah, this the, the wins over replacement methodology really, really likes Perkins. You know, if I was going strictly on that metric, he would probably be number one, actually. Like, he had more career wins above replacement than Hansborough, which is kind of hard to believe, I guess, but I mean, it reflects just how efficient he was as a scorer and a pretty dominant shot blocker and a better rebounder than Hansborough. And Worthy was good, obviously, and I mean, great in big games. You know, he he earned that nickname, but from just four-year consistency, and Worthy only played three years, of course, but Perkins was just a little more consistent, like put up those numbers game after game. Then Greg, let me get your thoughts on the top 10. Were there any names or omissions from the top 10 that surprised you? I don't think so, to be honest with you. I, I will say this, going back to kind of the, the behavioral aspect of things. I grew up in Gastonia, and I actually uh, went to Greer Junior High. And we actually wore the same uniforms that Worthy used when he played at Greer back, you know, however many years before in the 70s, so 20 yeah. years before or whatever. Um, I still got pictures of it, which are pretty funny. But because <laughs> because – I grew up hearing stories about Worthy and knew what kind of player he was. It was always kind of weird to me as I got a little bit older and as I watched Worthy at the NBA level along with Jordan, that when you started talking to you know, North Carolina fans kind of outside the Gastonia Charlotte bubble, that it was like a no-brainer that Jordan was like the best Tar Heel ever because of that A2 championship. Whereas everything I'd heard growing up was – Worthy was the man. It's big game James. He's from Gastonia. And so I've always found that, for me, just personally, I've always found that kind of dichotomy fascinating is because it really was. It was Worthy, and then it was Jer- Jordan and, and Perkins. Whereas I think for a lot of other people, it was, you know, here's Jordan. Worthy was good, too, of course, and, and Perkins was there as well. Um, I do find it fascinating. It kind of speaks to how good those teams were back in the day when you've got <laughs> – You've got Jordan, you've got Perkins, and you have Worthy, all who played on that championship team mm-hmm. in 82 are in this top 10. Um, I think that's, that's phenomenal. 
And uh, you know, granted, you know, Jordan was was only there for for that eighty two year, but um, that that kind of speaks to how good those particular teams were. Um, but also, you know, some of these other guys, and I know you know, Pete Brennan. I know he's not not top ten, but even guys like Rosenbluth, I just find it fascinating that um, Adrian's able to go back, and you know, Charles Scott too, able to go back and acquire enough data and stats um, to kind of get a a solid foundation. Um, for kind of how effective these guys were because it's pretty easy for us to watch the 09 and 08 teams and say, well, yeah, clearly Hansborough is one of the best there ever was, or to watch the, you know, those great teams from the early 80s, uh, but not really have the ability to watch a lot of those other guys and to be able to use this kind of data to, you know, effectively rank them. Um, I think it's, I think it's very fascinating. Should add the data is not as good back then either. They didn't have minutes played. They didn't have turnovers, so I'm not able to do the wins above replacement. So I'm, it is a little more of a, you know, the bigger fudge factor there. I'm guessing right. more. Uh, and I'm about okay. the same age as Greg. I'm I'm 42, so we're the same era. So I didn't see Charlie Scott and, and Rosenbluth and Larry Miller and all those guys either, except on film. You know, I've watched as much video as I can, and you know, the numbers that are available, I've certainly used. And I mean, like field goal percentages were way lower back then. So, I mean, I can adjust for that and everything. You know, shooting 42% in the 1950s is not like shooting 42%, you know, in this day and age. So, I can account for things like that, but it's not perfect data-wise back then. How do you account for that, Adrian, just for, for people who may be wondering? I mean, obviously, you've got other aspects with three-point shooting and those kind of things. How do you how do you make up for those, or how do you correct for those adjustments? I mean, just normalizing it, right? It's, if you shoot, like, league average, You'll get like a 100 for your field work percentage, your effective field work percentage. If you're 10% better, you're a 110. So just kind of comparing it, you know, a 100 being average, you know, simple adjustment like that. I did think it was interesting seeing guys like Charles Scott, Billy Cunningham, and Larry Miller break into the top 10. And I mean, I'm younger than you guys. I'm only 32. My dad was there for the 82 championship in Carolina. So, you know, I think if anyone's got the recency bias out of the three of us, it's definitely me. So seeing seeing those names of, of those guys that played in the 60s, you know, that was really cool for me. And actually looking over the stats, you know, I mean, it's like you said, Adrian, where you're not trying to compare guys across the timelines is you're comparing against how they did against their peers, which I think is the best way to do it. And, you know, a lot of sports talk goes to, oh, well, you know, how good could the guys from the 70s be today and blah, blah, blah. I just don't really like that. And, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that, that you shied away from that. Was that something that, that you just decided straightforward? Look, I'm not even going to try to compare the past to the present. I'm just going to stick with how they did within their eras. Yeah, like you're saying, it's kind of impossible, right? Where, I mean, it's good for like a ballroom argument or like the sake of discussion. But in terms of trying to do it with any internal consistency, it just gets really, really hard. I think Greg made the point. You know, the 82 team had Jordan, Perkins, and Worthy. So if Jordan played where he was like the main guy, like Hansrow as a freshman, where they they needed scoring, you know, maybe he scores 26 points a game or something. Like all these counterfactuals, you know, you can do them all night and kind of just spinning your wheels, getting nowhere. So like you're saying, I try to simplify it by just looking at the environment they're in and, you know, just keeping it the year they played in on the teams they played on. Adrian, you're you're at a different level in terms of the, the mathematics of this. Um, but I know kind of at a – at a lesser level, let's take football, for example. When, when Larry Fedora showed up in Chapel Hill, that was you know, near the early stages of this massive shift in how we interpreted stats for football, right? 
it, points per yeah. game no longer mattered. Uh, yards per game no longer mattered. It's it's points per play. It's yards per play. Things like that that we were oh, okay. These these are what actually matter. This is how we know how good this offense is. This is how we know you know how bad this defense is. In, in Fedora's case, for example, yeah. when when you look at all these advanced metrics that you use, is is there one or two maybe? that you can look back and say, you know what, this is pretty spot on as kind of a judge when I when I go back through some of these lists? Well, like you're saying, doing the uh, just the simple pace adjustment is really important. Uh, the 82 team played it, I think it was, it was 69 or, or 61 or like maybe even 59 uh, possessions for 40, whereas many of the Royce teams are like 75 possessions for 40. Right. So just making that simple adjustment, you know, if you're scoring 15 games or 15 points a game back then, it's you know, just equivalent to 20 points a game in a quicker tempo. And that's obviously very straightforward, but it's an important adjustment to make. Otherwise, I mean, I guess the wins over replacement metric that I created, it's kind of all-encompassing. You know, it takes all your box score stats. You know, it's, it's still not measuring things like how well you play defense, other than, you know, your defense rebounds, your heels, and your blocks. It's not factoring in positional defense, anything like that. So guys who... Like a Marcus Ginyard or a Jackie Manuel are underrated in this metric hmm. because it doesn't really account for that that strong positional defense. Or, you know, shutting down a, a top scorer. That's interesting. No, no metric is is going to be perfect, obviously. But I guess in in that situation, Adrian, you just kind of you know just went into it knowing that hey, some guys are going to be a little bit undervalued in this way. Was that kind of your mentality? Yeah, and like you're saying, Bryce Johnson is maybe an example of a guy who's a little overrated. Like his defense, especially his first three years, you know, he made a lot of, you know, pretty glaring errors with light rotations or just, you know, letting guy get deep post position. But he always had, he had a lot of blocks and a ton of defensive rebounds. So in this methodology, he grades out really well. But when the coach, you know, when the staff is grading that tape, it won't look nearly as pretty. All right. So let's go ahead and start to wrap this up a little bit. And, you know, when you're looking at the top 10 there, Adrian, and Greg, I'll also throw this one to you as well. You know, guys just do not stay a full four years really that much anymore. But is there a chance that someone either on the roster now or maybe in the future, like that they could break into the top 10? Like what all would a person have to do basically in the current time in order to reach top 10 status under your, your list, Adrian? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, yeah, I think it's basically impossible in this era for a guy to be to make enough impact as a freshman. Or like, I guess Luke May, I, I think I had 46. You know, He cracked the top 50, and now it's really having, you know, he, he didn't play much at all as a freshman, had an important bench role as a sophomore, and then two, you know, two all-ACC caliber seasons, and that barely got him in the top 50. And he's an example of a guy who played four years in this era, whereas Kobe White was around 80th or whatever and had one all-ACC level year and then left early. So if Kobe comes back for, you know, he plays three years at that level or, you know, improving as you'd expect he might be a guy who cracks the top 10 but you know how likely is it to get a, a three you know three years out of kobe white i guess that's mm-hmm. what it'll take i think right well i think lawson may be your best case scenario i was, I was looking really yeah. really hard at justin jackson and raymond mm-hmm. felton um to adrian's point those are guys that came in very talented um and circumstances kind of prevented them from going pro early but both hung around, had fantastic junior seasons, won national championships, really were kind of the key guys on, on those teams. Of course, they had some help. 
Um, but you look at them in terms of the rankings, and Justin's 36, and I think Felton was, was 31. Yeah. Um, so it would seem you know, those guys, in terms of being very talented guys who can get to the NBA and get to the NBA, you know, mid first round, um, the likelihood of them not having breakout freshman seasons, but being good enough to reach that potential within three years while playing at an elite level, winning national championships. It's hard to ask much more from a player than that. And we've, we've seen that in recent years, um, you know, under Roy for sure. But that just seems like a very tough um, kind of bracket to break out of. You, you do have hand yeah, throw there. I, Good. I guess it might be like the hands for example, where a guy really wants to win a championship or is, for whatever reason, he's not going to improve his draft stock and just really right. enjoys college. Doesn't win that title his first three years. Wants to come back as a senior and win the whole thing, and just keeps up putting, you know, keeps putting up huge numbers. But I mean, that that's kind of a special guy. It's hard to see a guy like somebody passing up first round money again and again and again. And I mean, doesn't really make much sense. So yeah, I'd be surprised to see a guy like that come along that cracks the top ten. All right. Well, that was about all the questions I had. Greg, did you have anything else that I forgot to ask, Adrian? No, I think that's that covers the full gamut. A lot, a lot of good info. Uh, for the for the readers, if you haven't really taken the time to, to dive in uh, to what Adrian's put together, a lot of info. Um, it's a good read uh, this time of year while there's not a lot going on, and it kind of it provides some some valuable history as well. I, I learn a lot uh, breaking down each of these players. Some, uh, know a lot of the you know, the guys my age and, and younger, but in reading up on some of the older guys, it's, it's kind of kind of enlightening to to learn about what kind of you. Know, put this foundation of this program in place and a lot of, a lot of talented players over the years. Absolutely. Adrian, are you going to ever do any, anything like this again, or is this kind of a, a one-off project for you, man? <laughs> yeah, I'll keep updating, obviously, you know, as guys graduate and leave the program, I'll kind of slot them in where they belong, you know, like I did with Kobe and, and Luke and those guys this year. Otherwise, I don't know if I have any, maybe I'll do like the, the best seasons. That's, you know, maybe won't be a top hundred, just, top 25 best seasons or something. Hmm. But yeah, I've always got something up my sleeve to All right, write about nice. and research. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we'll go ahead and call this one a night. Thank you very much both for joining me. Hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. Yep. Thanks. You too. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.